So you can't get rid of the old man. Uh, anything that has to do with all the guys ask me to do. So we're going to talk about wisdom and parenting today, and I I really just kind of want to try to talk to you. Um, this is a one of the hardest subjects to speak about. Number one, we've got teenagers up here thinking that's a long way away. Um, We have college students up here thinking, you know, I've got tests coming up and I've got to put up with ugly roommates and so forth, so uh, this sermon's not pertinent to me. And then we have parents of all ages of kids. And first of all, you run the risk of, of hurting people inadvertently in the things that you say. Uh, There's nothing that uh, is more sensitive to parents than the outcome of their children. And so trying to qualify everything you say, lest you leave something out, uh, is real difficult. Um, Even preaching from the scriptures um, can can be very challenging to parents. So I, I just want to say in advance to the parents particularly, uh, both of young children and older children, you're going to have to contextualize what I'm saying. I only have an hour and a half today to share with you about this. Uh, those nervous laughs. laughs. Um, to talk about this, and it's, it's just super challenging. There's nothing that uh, Tan and I uh, took more seriously uh, in, our, in our marriage and our life together uh, and our children and, and doing, uh, raising our kids for God. And um, I, I learned a ton early on when I really kind of started examining the faith I grew up with. Um, I, um, there was just a, um, a clashing of a lot of pieces of my life as I was studying science and kind of going through really what the church went through in the late 19th century in trying to deal with Science and social science and a lot of the new things that were coming out, that's where a lot of fundamentalism kind of came from as really an overreaction to that to make things more concrete. And so I kind of came out of that, a lot of formulaic stuff, a lot of the you got to believe this, you got to believe that, or you're going to hell. Everything seemed to be a contingency of of heaven or hell. Um, So... I've I've gone through really three lifetimes uh, in my life. The growing up life, um, you know, there was some of that was pretty good and some of it was bad. But I had, you know, before mom died and after mom died. And you guys have heard that story, most of you, too many times. But those are very defining things. And then at 21, when I really did commit my life as an adult to God and started down that journey... Uh, and then for the next really uh, 25 or so years were kind of my wilderness wanderings of just trying to figure out uh, what I really thought about this thing called the Bible and what I thought about Christianity and the church and um, 
those were very painful years in a lot of ways. There were just quite a few heartbreaks that Tan and I went through. We moved, and we were raising our kids in the middle of this. And a lot of what we were looking for uh, during that time was to build the church. We wanted our kids to grow up in. And um, again, as a evangelist and pastor, I had a very different vantage point than all of you, really, in terms of having an opportunity to shape the church. But I knew kids really well, and I had spent a lot of time with them. I'd worked with college students, I'd worked with teenagers and little kids uh, pretty intensely in the early days. Plus, I was the youngest of eight uh, kids. I've been an uncle since I was 10 years old, and I had a lot of vantage point of just life and uh, on both sides of that thing. And uh, frankly, it was very scary. Um, I was one that was already way too open for most people in church because I said things and talked about things that uh, it was just time we talked about. same-sex attraction with people, girls and guys that had been abused and raped, uh, people that had been hurt, husbands that were mistreating their wives, young ladies whose own dads had sexually molested them. And, and we just bled in secret, and we came to church, and we talked about high church doctrines. And I just happened to know there were a lot of people every Sunday that were just hurting looking for answers, trying to figure some things out in their life. And, and so all these years, I've really tried to lead our family that way. Tan and I have agreed every step of the way on our children and how we wanted to raise them and what we were going to do with them. And, um, and then trying to build a church that would not lose 75% of its kids. The kids wouldn't hate being at, that the little kids wouldn't hate going to. They would look forward to it. This is family. Family ought to be fun. The communion is a Thanksgiving meal. It's, you know, it's, it's, in one way, it ought to be grand every Sunday, but the commonness of it also is the same thing. It's like when a family eats together every night. It's like, well, that is such a firm foundation in the family Uh, And it's easy to kind of just overlook it, but then when you study a little bit of psychology and social science, uh, you look at the impact of a family simply eating together every day and the enormous impact that has on people. Um, God is not stupid, and the scriptures are full of the wisdom of God if we can get beyond trying to use it as a rule book and a set of formula. And that's where we get in trouble here. So I bring that down to this. You know, I I talk about my four kids, um, you know, um, and and I've had people say, you talk about your kids too much. You make other people feel badly. Um, You know, when you you do what I've done for the last 45 years, uh, everybody has an opinion on you and you you inflict yourself on the church on a weekly basis, and I get it. Um, um, Even my sister told me a while back, she said, you never talk about your kids. We want you to talk about them. It's like every time 
I talk to some of them and hear the stories of their kids. I, I just pinch myself because my kids are doing so well and they're so good to us and they're in a church that I know they're loved by tons of people. And a lot of my nieces and nephews didn't grow up that way. A lot of my siblings didn't have what Tan and I have in the support system. It, it's just mind-blowing when I I look at where other people are going through life and what they're doing and where we are with all of you. So the thing that I want to commend this church, first of all, is that you really bought into that John the Baptist came to prepare the way of Jesus, and one of the principal things he did was turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Now, there's a lot of implications in that, and his first implication was probably talking about the fathers of Israel back to the generations to come, to think about what are you leaving here? What are you doing? What are you handing off? And then certainly that applies directly to the families because we know today what the absence of a a father in the lives of young people, just how much harder it is for kids to grow up. There's a balance. Again, God is not stupid. And I, my hat's off to those of you that are, are raising and have had to raise kids as single parents um, and, and are, are doing the best you can do. I, I don't envy you at all, and I many days don't know how you do it. Um, and those of us that are parents uh, with, a, with a mate that helps us feel that way, So, but as a church, one of our strategies from the beginning that this church bought into is we're going to build from the ground up. And the reason is, is because we were building on bad foundations. We were building on churches that were already cracked and they were just going to split. And when that happens, a lot of people are going to get hurt. And the people that get hurt the most are the young people. And that's the thing about divorce. It's heartbreaking to the parents, but it's life-changing to the kids uh, as their foundation has cracked and is now separated and they're trying to stand a straddle with two different foundations and trying to figure out uh, how to make all that work and doing the splits. Uh, It wasn't intended that way in the beginning. And that's what we're trying to do. And, and before we start from the ground up with the kids, we've tried to start from the ground up with our young people. I've told the teens countless times, you're raising your kids right now. They're going to know a lot about you by what you can't say to them, by what you don't say, what you're afraid to talk about to them. They're going to make assumptions and they're going to study you a lot more than you can imagine. And the more you can build your life and be the teen you want your kids to be, the easier it's going to be because there's a foundation in your own life of consistency. Plus, in that struggle, you're going to learn the struggle because we know you're just teens. Nobody here thinks, oh, you ought to act like you're a 25-year-old zealot for God. It's, it doesn't work that way. And if you're acting like a zealot, you're acting. You, you've got to learn and grow, and this is hard. But it's the same with you college students. You're going to marry like you date. You know, you're going to parent like you date and marry. You can't undo that. And 
When, you, when you're raising kids, suddenly you start looking down first at their friends and realizing there's a whole another thing going on in my kid's life that is having this huge impact that we just can't completely counter. And sometimes we don't feel like we can counter at all. And then as they become teens and start moving into adulthood, you start thinking, oh, they're going to get married. And those of us that have been around married couples, we know the implications of that in our kids' life. Here's going to be somebody that's not only in their life and influential, they are going to be a part of their life. And we're going to deal with a new person that we may not know very well. And, and so we try to teach you guys how to date sensibly. And I, I laugh when people say, oh, people hate focused dating and stuff. You guys are the biggest hypocrites. You don't even do it well. But we try, <laughs> we try to teach you, you know, sensibility. Um, just the craziness of infatuation and you tell yourself that what you found is what you meant to find and you don't even know what to look for, you know? And, and again, I could talk a lot about any of these subjects, but in the same with our, our young marrieds. If, if anybody's been around here a long time, what goes on here is extraordinary. I don't know any other place it goes on. Now, I'm sure there are where we have this now steady stream of young people that are getting married here, that are having kids, and when I say here in all of our churches, and then this loop that's building, that's been the plan all along. And God has carried it out for us in some just really, really special ways. And so I want to talk just a second about Scripture and the Proverbs. We've been talking about wisdom. Um, The Proverbs are not absolutes. They're not laws. And they're not to be read that way. Because if we read them as laws, then we're going to be beating our kids with rods and then feeling like we fail because our kids are not deeply devoted Christians. And, And those aren't absolutes. And there are so many things in our scripture that way because they were spoken into a time and place. They were written into a time or place. And and then we're, we're led by Jesus as he comes along to see how we have to look at them in context and see them differently such that though the law required the woman caught in adultery to be stoned, Jesus didn't stone her. And though the law said you really can't pick grain on the Sabbath, Jesus let his disciples pick grain on the Sabbath and on one occasion said, you know what David did when his people were hungry? He, they broke in and ate the sacred bread. And, and so we, we begin to see this, you have heard it said, in the way that the Pharisees, who were the Jewish fundamentalists and the spiritual patrol to tell who's right and who's wrong, which was always centered around them being right, and, and they, they, they would take these things and enforce them as laws and beat people up with them, and such that Jesus comes in and he said, you've heard it said... Don't commit adultery. But I'm going to tell you. He didn't say, but, but God said, he said, but I'm 
saying? Because Jesus was God in the flesh. He's, he was Emmanuel. But I say, whoever is looking lustfully at another, and guys, that also includes lusting after other people's things. The law of, of not coveting was about coveting other people's things as well as their mates and whatever else. He's saying, when you, when you look covetous, covetously at things, we didn't say that in Oklahoma, sorry. <laughs> I didn't get much practice. When you look lustfully, <laughs> lust sounds just purely sexual. Um, and that's kind of how we use it. But it, it really was a synonym in earlier English with the idea of coveting. Um, but when you do that, see, God is looking at the heart. We are obsessed with the shape and size of our bodies. God is concerned with the shape and size of your heart. And we spend all of our time getting up, fixing our bodies up, and we go work out. i got to take care of the temple of God. When you're doing that crap, it's not the temple of God. It's the temple of you. You're just serving it. You're putting energy and time. I think we should be healthy. But if our goal is to look all studly or perfect or whatever to, to show people, look at me, you're just going to make a whole lot of people feel really badly. And that's not the way we do things. That's not the Jesus that we serve. We want to honor people. We want to lift people up. Uh, we want to give greater honor to the weaker parts of the body so that that people that come that are poor and can't dress right don't feel out of place. So that people that don't, they they come in and they don't know the social mores of the church, that we're going to protect them, we're going to sit by them and help them understand what we're trying to do. So that people that come with family members that have special needs maybe some mental illness, children with special needs that come, that parents don't just come to one more place and have people looking at them about how they take care of your kid. You know, that that a place that says the invitation of Jesus, come to us, you or who are weary and burdened, and we will give you rest. Come take our yoke upon you and learn from us. Our yoke is easy and our burden is light and you'll find rest for your souls. That's who we are as the church. And so in the scriptures, we, we have to get to the place to know Jesus and then bring Jesus back as the hermeneutic. We're going to read the Bible through the eyes of Jesus. We're going to read the creation story through the eyes of Jesus. We're going to read the sin stories through the eyes of Jesus. We're going to read those frightening stories of God judging nations through the eyes of Jesus and and see that God never, never did anything, allowed anything worse than what happened to him when he was here. And he did it for us and there's a reason for all of it. So we have to read the scriptures through Jesus. Otherwise, we're going to do what the fundamentalist church of the, you know, 1800s did. We're going to support slavery. We're going to do what the church did and treat kids like a piece of property. 
and you can beat them and there's no recourse if you do. In the world we lived in, the closest law officer to our house was an hour away. And do you think they would have come out to our house if somebody called and said, I think those kids over there are not being treated very good. Well, number one, if they'd come, they would have gotten shot. And I mean that literally. Uh, The world was very different then. And it was certainly very different in the context that these scriptures were written. The, 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 The idea of women and so many of us have had to just kind of slog our way out of this fundamentalist approach to scripture that is just so anti-Jesus in some ways. It's anti-Jesus because you start thinking you're right because you're right about something. Rather than just trusting that Jesus is right and he's got it all figured out and his grace is enough. And I can celebrate that. I can rejoice in that on the days I look and say, oh, I'm not a good dad. I'm not a good pastor. I'm not a good friend. I'm just not very good at this. I'm depressed. I don't feel good. I don't want to get out of bed today. On those days when you're so anxious, you just can hardly move for some of you. You're having panic attacks. The reality, you look at your child and you think, how are we ever going to help this child be functional in the world? And I'm talking about particularly special needs kids, but when your kids don't act right... Those things that we have happen that we don't publicize, but that we find out about. Somebody who's, who's, you know, teenager has come home and said, hey, I'm gay. Or a little boy that looks at his daddy and says, I, why didn't God make me a girl? And then we come up with our fundamentalist answers and we hit people over the head with it. And then we wonder why people don't come to us. We can't even talk about it. Well, what we've tried to do here is make the space to talk about it. We have some really bright people around here now. We're one of the most educated churches you'll ever walk in, but I hope you don't see it that way. We believe in learning and education, and now we have, we have two guys graduating with uh, theology degrees. Uh, Brandon already has, and Peter is going to be a master of divinity so he will know everything there is to know about the divine. So, <laughs> and he will be right because he's right now. And so, so you see what I'm saying? The scriptures on women, the scriptures on slaves, the scriptures on marriage, the scriptures on relationship that were assumptions and these principles were spoken into them. But just as Jesus came and said, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, He's Lord of the church, and He's Lord of marriage, and He's Lord of the people around you. He loves people with same-sex attraction a whole lot more than you do, and a whole lot more than the LGBTQ ever could, because He'll die for them, and did. You know, we, we have to really kind of come to this subject just with Jesus in our heart. I mean, the law required parents of rebellious teens to bring them out to the elders and then take them outside the city and stone them to death. In our day and age, we we can't even comprehend. We're we're fighting over the death penalty, and rightfully so. 
the world that they were in was very different and the world this wisdom literature was spoken into was very different, but the, the principles and the wisdom is not different. And it's, it's on us to make spiritual judgments. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. And he himself is judged by no one else. But we have the mind of Christ... And, and we, we, we're, we run from the real power that we have, the power to extend grace. If you forgive anyone's sins, I'll forgive them. What? And if you don't, I won't. Whatever you bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Paul would say to the church, Did you, do you not know you're going to judge the angels? Uh, no, I didn't know that. We're afraid to use this Holy Spirit in us to see what is it God's wanting to get done with our kids. Well, I'll tell you, he's, He's not worried about their accomplishments in life. And when we try to raise our kids to be rich, we're raising our kids to go to hell. It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for somebody that is realizing the American dream to come into the kingdom of God. And that's why we're polarized behind left and right. We're we're polarized behind these parties and and we're more American than we are Christian. And we've somehow let patriotism become the top of the list of the fruit of the Spirit. When did that happen? How did that happen? And we're defending the traditions of America before we we really think about what God wants us to be like so that the church looks like America. And it's reactionary. So, I'm going to just share a few points here about parenting now with all that said. Because there's lots of really good books written on this. Uh, You could probably reach within a couple of yards of you And there are some really good parents sitting around you. People that have learned well. People that have tried hard, both young and old. I I just, um, I I look at, Tan and I look at our four little granddaughters. I I don't know how they could be sweeter or better kids. And I hear people, you know, their kids screaming and crying and they're mad and they're demanding. Ours aren't anything like that. But it's because of their parents. You know, they're all around. Just watch, you know, watch Kel and Jamie in with their kids and really pray for them. They're going to have twins and they've already had two little girls. Um, God have mercy. But, (laughs) you know, they're great examples. Garrett and Erica, Aaron and Amy, these are people that they have homes that are rich godly compost for their kids to grow up in and they bring them to a church where again they just get loved by so many people around them Uh, so many people i've talked to people outside they don't have anybody to ask to be the guardian of their children if they both died accidentally somehow we 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 have people line up we had a young man in this church you know, a number of years ago that needed a kidney transplant. And we had 10 people from this church 
ready to go get tested to give him a kidney. Ten. And we just had one of our young ladies in our Wiley church give a kidney to another guy. You know, that's where we live. And our kids just think that's normal, that they get to get up and move around and, you know, that we don't treat people, you know, that way. They're special and God wants us to treat them that way. Well, point number one, be the example. It begins and ends with God and you. You can't fake it. It's not about being perfect. It's about trusting God. Our relationship with God is not based on how many minutes or hours a day we pray or read, how many family devotionals we have, how much we go to church, how much Christian music we listen to. It's, it's coming right here. How much do you love God? How much do you trust Him? This is the work God requires of you that you believe in the one He has sent, not you and not the church and not your knowledge. Jesus is that good. He's that, that's, and Jesus didn't come to redefine God for God. He came to show us who God really is and always has been. That's the ultimate gospel. God just showed us he would and could do out of who he is. He's never been that high and mighty God. He's always been the meek and lowly God. Otherwise, he wouldn't have just kicked them out of the garden. He would have killed them and started over. He would have killed Israel and started over, but he didn't. You've got to be the example, and kids just have to see you get up every day and try real hard. And, and when there's problems, you've just got to help them see it through the eyes of, of God. And don't do this thing. Jesus wouldn't be happy with you. God wants us to do this. I, you know, kids can't comprehend all that stuff. You are God to them. And, and, and you stand in the place of God. And so when you say God and Jesus, yes, they have a natural spirituality, but it's simple and it's not thought through, and they're watching you. They want to be like you. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, this is what we're going to do in our home. When I, when I was coming to Christ, I was studying psychology and science, a whole lot of those things. And I, I will share it this afternoon. A scripture that captivated me was the Psalm 19, because the first few verses talk about how creation declares God. And then he goes into the next verses about the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul and what I learned was you, you just speak the word of God and you're just speaking the ultimate wisdom for God so loved the world there's no greater truth God is good there's no greater truth and if you believe that you make it believable to your kids but if you don't they won't not through you see the way Solomon concluded Ecclesiastes was, let me tell you the conclusion of the whole deal. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole purpose of humanity. That, and the law of the Lord is perfect because it emanates from his very nature. Number two, you've got to lead from the bottom, not the top. Don't you ask your kids to do anything that you don't do in front of them. <laughs> 
don't use your kids as your personal house servants. You wash their feet and then you teach them to wash feet. You don't make them feel guilty because you've got to clean up a mess because then you're going to knock the milk over on them the next time. You know, don't get in the car and try to act like you've got to be somewhere and make your kids be miserable needing to go to the restroom. That's mean. And there's so many things parents do to inflict their selfishness. So many times we just parent selfishly because we can. We can get by with it. But your sins will find you out with your kids. If you, wanna, if you want your kids to be generous, you better be a generous person because they're watching you. If you want your kids to be merciful to other people, you better not be talking trash about other people in front of them. You know, they need to see that you're a merciful person, that you care about people. They need you to help them to reframe, not beat them because they didn't see something right. Show them. Use as much humor and sarcasm and whatever you can do, but then if that's not enough, you can always say more louder later and say, okay, we're not doing that. Either you fix that or I'm going to fix it, but it's getting ready to get fixed. Now, do you want to fix it? Yeah. How are you going to fix it? The negotiation begins, and it doesn't take long before they start realizing you've got to mean it. It doesn't take much, but you've got to lead from the bottom. I really made it a policy in my home to be the first one up every day. There's just something about the old man laying up in bed and letting mom get up and kind of treat him like he's a two-year-old. No, I want to be the first one up, and I want to pray for my family before they get up. And I want to be there for my family when they get up. Casey wrote me in a letter one time. He said, it's, it's not been really hard doing this, getting to see Jesus sitting there every morning when I got up. You know, is that perfection? No, it's I loved him. I love God and I loved him and he got to see that every day. And if I mess up, you apologize. We're humans. You explain that to them. Here's how you, you clean it up. If you mess up, call me. If you mess up really bad, call me really fast. Nobody will help you clean up your messes more than your mom and me. We know how because we've made plenty of them, okay? Just go make a new mistake. Let me tell you the mistakes we made so you don't repeat those. But you're still going to make mistakes. Nobody gets to be perfect. Our grace is sufficient for you. But you lead from the bottom. You're a servant. And they see it everywhere they go. They don't know any different. Number three, you've got to learn the power of love. We've said it here a lot. You know, love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Peter 4.8. The ramifications of that piece of wisdom is extensive. It's just vast because it's the nature of God and that's why people born of God know how to agape love. And if you know how to agape love, you'll know how to phileo love and you'll know how to storge love and you'll know how to eros love and how to teach your children about eros unashamedly. That's the Garden of Eden stuff. 
it's private, but it's not shameful, and we need to teach people how to use it, and that's the reason so many kids just, even Christian kids, stumble, because again, we just say don't. Um, I've had parents tell my kid would never do that, and I just want to fall out of my chair. Uh, Some I already knew they were having sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They just happened to be over 18, and I didn't feel like I could just tell them, but I was trying to hint, your kid is in a sexual relationship right now. But, you know, we we can't be naive. Our kids are sexual beings. Uh, God... God really likes sex. He's into it. <laughs> Finally, somebody said, I'm serious. Look around you. You go fishing and the dragonflies are breeding on your fishing rod out there. You're going, oh, that's once you guys get a room. <laughs> no, no. The whole world, we, we pollen... You got pollen and it's plant sperm. You know, it's just, this is the world around. Now, God has taught us how to glorify him with it. And how to use this amazing kind of thing that he's made in powerful ways. And how not to use it in just as powerful ways. That can do a lot of damage. See, as parents, your kids need to know that you love them. But this is not an enabling love. That's, that's why, you know, the, the, the psalm would say, you know, if you beat your child with a rod, they will not die. Well, you know, for my daughter, all I had to do was look at her. I didn't need to beat her with a rod. I I may have spanked Brianna one time in her life, and that's probably because she whipped one of the boys. Um, You know, she's tough, man. But but that's it. You know, I can never remember Brianna sassing me, ever. Ever. I have a great relationship with her. She looks out. She's, She's my and Tana's mother right now, you know. She, she looks out for us. Number four, you've got to shape your children. You don't get to make them. God breathed into the breath of life and he gave you a living soul that is unique among all people. And you don't get to say, well, I want my kid to be this way. Well, sorry. That wasn't your choice. Now you get to shape what God has made. And too many times our discipline involves trying to make our kids somebody they're not rather than shaping who they are. You need to be an expert on your kids. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he won't depart from it. Proverbs 22.6. Here's the challenge, though. As a parent, you don't get to know whether your theories and practices were effective until it's too late to do anything about it. That's why what Hebrews... 13, 17, 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke to you the word of truth. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. If you want your kids to be money hungry, 
people that are out motivated trying to get the best job and make the most money and live the American dream, don't imitate Tana and me. If you want your kids to be devoted to God and to be sold out and you want to raise your kids for God, come talk to us. And we'll tell you so many things that we just, they're important. Be human in front of them. They've got to see you believing in Jesus. They've got to see you accepting the grace of God. We were raised with Jesus so that God through us could show the unsearchable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. Well, they don't get to see God being kind to us. My kids know how I was raised. They've heard me say when they were trying to complain about their mom more than once, gosh, I wish I'd had a mother as bad as yours. You know, that's sobering to them and reminds them that she's a gift and, you know, she's not perfect, but she loves you. Shape your kids. Talk to them. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is about. Just talk to them. The worst punishment is just talking to them. You know? Say, do you want to talk? No. That's a lot. That's a lot worse than the spanking. Talk to them. At camp, we've had this principle over the years as some of us old guys go, and if any of the teenagers are acting up, we have a stern face circle. <laughs> we get in a circle and we all look really serious. Now, we're all wanting to laugh because we're thinking, oh, this kid's not near as bad as I was. But anyway, we're saying, now, Peter, it's been reported this, you know. What, what, what are you thinking? There's nothing worse. <laughs> At that point, they would rather be beaten with a rod. <laughs> Restraining and retaining. That's what discipline is. Guys, I would suggest to you when you hear the word discipline as Christians, you think discipling. That's what we're doing. We don't have some American image of what our kids are going to be like. It's, it's Jesus kind of in their body and in their time and place. That's it. You know, 1 Samuel 3, 11 to 14, we, we read about God speaking to Samuel. Apparently some of the first words he said that he was getting ready to carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. This is a big deal to God, parents. You enabling your kids, letting them be ugly to people, being unfriendly. Our kids knew that one of the capital sins in our home was being unfriendly to our guests. Not that they didn't make up their bed. Because that makes mom look good. They didn't put the dish up. Because that makes mom look good and makes her happy. Well, leave the bed unmade and teach your kids how to treat people. Now, you make beds up. We can do that kind of stuff. But make sure your priorities are straight and they know what's important. And it's not you making straight A's in school. It's about you loving God. That's, that's it. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, they will not die. Punish them with the rod and save them from death. Listen, if you don't discipline your kids now, you're going to stand in front of a judge one of these days. You're going to bail them out of jail. 
you're going to be bailing them out of trouble. But if you want to spend time with them now, they'll want to spend time with you. Number six, being rich in mercy and balancing it with being just. You know, sometimes you're just going to have to remind yourself they're just a two-year-old. They didn't ask to be born. You, you did the deal. I don't make them feel guilty. You treat them like God treats you. You honor them. You respect them. You care about them. Number seven, lead your church to church. I tell you, your first church is at home, but that's not a terminus. That's not where it ends. If you're going to lead your church, you lead them to church. This is the kingdom of God. You can't obey 75% of the commands of God and not be in Christian community. Because that's mostly what he talks about is how to treat people. Number eight, get advice. Imitate successful parents. You know, you think, well, my parents did it right. Well, how many kids did your parents raise? And on top of that, how much do your parents know about trying to raise kids in a community? Because we raise our kids together. But I've had plenty of people who, one, their kids weren't models for us, want to shape how we do teen ministry. Like, oh, well, no, <laughs> I may be wrong, but I know a lot more about it than you do. So, you know, so lead your church to church and get advice from those people there and imitate them. That's what you do. Number nine, manage your kids' associations. Manage your kids' associations. Now, that doesn't mean lock them in the house. I had a couple that did that. They homeschooled their kids. They did all this stuff. And I told him one day, you, what you guys did is you locked your kids up in the house with two messed up alcoholics. And now you're wondering why they've got problems. The two best role models in my life growing up of being a Christian were Mr. Watson and Mr. Kimmel, and then Miss Dodd. I didn't even realize that they were just great Christian people. But if I hadn't had those two guys to think about, here's the way we do things, I wouldn't have had a model of how do we talk to people because my dad didn't talk to us very nice. So with that said, I'll just kind of conclude here. There's no one formula for raising kids. And if you try to find that formula, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, They're not going to fit in your equation. Um, There are principles. And when you're reading them from an ancient text, you've got to dig down for the principle and then ingest it to to the present context and realities. You can't do exactly what they did and you don't want to. But you can apply the principle the same way. So I promise you that you will get the very best you can if you will love God with all of your heart and thus as a first priority serve Him with diligence. If you will model and train your children in godly character in both how to live well and how to handle it when they don't. If you will plant your kids in the rich soil of a godly community with people that love them and love you and move in around them when problems arise. I had somebody just this last week saying about 
focus. You know what I finally figured out? It's just family. And when somebody needs something, we, we move in around them. I don't remember the exact words, but that's exactly right. If you will take advice from and imitate those who have been successful in raising truly godly kids, don't read Benjamin Spock's book. Either his son or grandson committed suicide. He admitted later the things he taught all the baby boomers was just not right. You know, listen to the principles of God, not the radical fundamentalist in the church. You're just going to create freaks doing that, and that doesn't work either. And if you'll practice the balance of mercy with your kids and, and justice, follow that wisdom we're given in the Bible. And if you'll avoid the worldly advice being served up from warmed over humanism in our psychology classes and on our campuses, you'll get the best outcome possible and God will be glorified in it. God, I pray you help us to be better parents, to trust you and have mercy on us as we try to raise our kids in a, in a corrupt world. Uh, for you and and help us to to commit ourselves to that bless all of our parents here today and all that will be parents that we take this most seriously pray in jesus name amen